Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Uh, Daniel chapter number 8, verse number 1. And I'll help you out here this evening. The Bible says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision, and I was by the river of Uli. Uh, tonight, for a little while, this will be my subject matter, uh, because you'll see throughout this chapter, there's a lot of these that are spoken of. You remember the old song, Old MacDonald had a farm? Well, on this particular farm, there was a horn. And here's a horn, and there's a horn. And so that's my subject matter tonight. Here a horn, there a horn. <laughs> Everywhere a horn, horn. Uh, this evening hallelujah can we go to the lord in prayer father i come to you tonight god i'm praying god that you would open our mind and our understanding help us jesus to lord learn from your scriptures more importantly let your anointing touch our minds and our hearts God, let someone's life god be challenged lord jesus god as we learn of your scriptures let all this lord god get paired together lord the way that it should be paired together lord mark any air from my mind and from my lips lord to be able to teach god the word of the lord and we'll thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Was anybody not here like uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, when these were handed out? If you wanted one of these, you can have one of these. Bishop, if you can help me, you can have one of those just for the sake of having. And again, on those, I don't endorse everything, neither do I necessarily reject everything that is listed upon those that, that might bring a little sense and semblance uh, to what we have talked about and perhaps to what we will what we will talk about <clears throat> uh, but in the first in the first verse of the book of Daniel chapter number eight uh, Daniel makes it very plain Daniel makes it very plain in this verse right here that the vision that he is now sharing with us in Daniel chapter number eight is one that has come after the other vision that he has already had and that he has already shared with us what we have already studied uh, throughout the chapter 7 of, of Daniel. He had a vision there, but he plainly tells us here in 8 that this vision that he has has came after that one that he had had in Daniel chapter number 7. He also, also shares with us that this vision that he had uh, took place in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, whereas the other vision that he had in Daniel chapter number 7 occurred in the first year of the reign of Belshazzar. And if you will remember, and again, I am being redundant on purpose, but if you will remember that chapter 7 and 8, since they were in the first and in the third year of the king of Belshazzar, uh, the book of Daniel isn't necessarily in chrono chronological order, that chapter 7 and 8 actually lie in between chapter 4, where it speaks about Nebuchadnezzar becoming that beast and then restored again as a king, and chapter number 5, that speaks about Belshazzar and uh, his kingdom being taken away uh, from him in that night by uh, the Darius the Mede. And so seven and eight actually fall between four and five. 
And, uh, inter- and this is just kind of a side note, maybe just for interest whenever you begin to notice some comparisons and contrasts. But in Daniel chapter number 7, you'll remember all those different beasts that we looked at, and I'm not going to go through them right at this time, but if you'll recall those beasts, uh, by and large, most of those, except the, the ones that we can relate to, that we could find in a zoo, to, so to speak, uh, most, most of those were, uh, or all those for that matter, were some type of wild beasts. We talk about a, a lion and a bear and a leopard. These are all wild or would be termed wild beasts. But when we come to the book of Daniel chapter 8, and the beasts that are, are, are delineated here in these verses, uh, they take more of the form of domesticated domesticated animals we're looking at a a ram and a goat so domesticated beast if you will and if you remember now this is reaching way back and i know no one does so that's okay if you go all the way back to our first lesson (laughs) what was that last year no it was whenever you go back to our first lesson uh, you may remember me talking about the whole span of the book of Daniel, how it was written in basically two languages, one being Aramaic, the other being Hebrew. And uh, this is just nothing more but somewhat of a supposition about what could be taking place. But here in chapter number 8, we switch back from Aramaic back to Hebrew. And with that being said, the supposition is this, is that perhaps the Hebrew language, when it's written in the Hebrew language, it is those portions of the book of Daniel that concern the Jews and the nation of Israel. And that seems to run uh, very, very close to being accurate whenever we see what was written in Hebrew, particularly this particular chapter. It's concerning uh, the Jews and the nation of Israel uh, in comparison with other nations. But beginning in chapter number 8, Daniel's second vision here, he is not envisioning now all of the kingdoms all over again like he has in times past. But there's two uh, in particular that he is envisioning in chapter number 8. He is is envisioning the empires of the Medo-Persian Empire and the Empire of Greece. And uh, most importantly, how these two particular empires uh, relate to the nation of Israel. Uh, something that, uh, again, just a little tidbit, when we consider the Medo-Persian Empire, that was the empire that they come under the government of, Israel did, concerning how it interacts with Israel, that there was a period of time then that Cyrus the Persian would arise and uh, by the declaration of the Lord would impress on his heart that he would allow the Jews to return back home to rebuild uh, Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And so uh, the interaction with Israel concerning the Medo-Persian Empire, they were given uh, opportunity to go back home and rebuild their city and rebuild their land. However, then whenever Israel came under the Grecian domination or the Grecian empire, uh, under a particular uh, ruler in particular by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, amen, uh, under this gentleman, the city and the temple that they had rebuilt, we understand was again taken and slaughtered and put in ruins in total uh, desolation. And so here is the correlation between their inner workings with the Medo-Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire concerning uh, the nation of Israel. But in verse number 2 tonight, uh, Daniel is describing uh, what he saw here in the vision. And he, he says that he has a vision and he sees himself in the vision at a place called Shushan. Uh, and by and large, he spent most of his time in Babylon, but whenever he had this vision, he envisioned himself being in Shushan. Now, what's, we know we, the word Shushan or Shusha, sometimes we read of in Scripture, but Daniel is, is, is seeing this before Shushan was really anything notable. Before uh, 
Queen Esther that we know in the book of Esther uh, ever resided there, and that was the capital, capital of the Medo-Persian Empire. This, this is prior to that, and so this is significant because Daniel's saying, I was here at Shushan in the palace, and this is all pre palace pre-Shushan importance day. Shushan was also the place that Nehemiah, remember he was serving as a, as a cupbearer to the king. It was that place that he left and went back to Jerusalem for the rebuilding of the wall. So it's somewhat uh, significant. But it's here while he's in this place of Shushan and very nearby runs this river of Uli that he has a vision and he sees a ram with two horns that appear in his vision. And whenever this happens, we read the scripture, if you'll allow me to. He says, Then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram, which had two horns. The two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. He says, I saw the ram pushing westward and northward, and southward so that no beast might stand before him neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand but he did according to his will and became great now so we have this picture there's a ram that he sees this ram if you'll allow my illustration had two horns all right has two horns uh, but the bible says that one horn was higher than the other and that the highest one came up at last in other words, it made its debut after the one that was shorter came up. So the higher horn made its debut at last. No other beast could stand before the ram. It could not be defeated, so to speak. No one could be delivered out of the hand of the ram or the hoof, I guess, if we're talking about a ram, out of the hoof of the ram. But here again, here the Lord is very kind to us in Daniel chapter number 8. Because just as in Daniel 2, he told us the head of gold, that's Babylon, that's Nebuchadnezzar. We can go very quickly to Daniel 8 and verse 20. That starts the interpretation of the vision that Daniel had and receive enlightenment right away concerning this ram. The Bible says in Daniel 8 and verse 20, the interpretation is coming forward. Daniel's needing help with these. Daniel needed help with his own visions. He was able to uh, interpret other people's visions, but he needed help with his own visions. And I think a lot of that is very true to life, uh, very true to life in a lot of different regards beyond visions. Uh, sometimes, you know, you, you, I've known people, there were great people of faith that could pray for people and people got healed, yet when it came to their own affliction, their own body, they needed somebody to pray for them. It's just very, very true to life. And so uh, the Bible says that someone came with this interpretation. It happened to be a high archangel by the name of Gabriel. Uh, first time that I think we see Gabriel's name actually mentioned in Scripture. And, and something that's awesome about this is that Gabriel is still around today. <laughs> a high archangel. And so he was the one then that even told now Daniel about the time when Jesus would be born. We see later in the book of Daniel, this, this one angel, Gabriel. But he comes and he tells him this interpretation, the two ram which thou sawest have two horns. He says, the ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. They are the kings of Media and Persia. So we know right away, we don't have any doubts. We're not fishing for straws here or rolling a dice and gambling. We know what the ram represents in its two horns. It represents the kings of Media and Persia, particularly then as a whole, the Medo-Persian Empire. <clears throat> Historians uh, from the 4th century, 
That's as good as I could go with a ram, just a real, real deal, okay? Uh, historians from the 4th century tell us that the ancient symbol of the Persian Empire was, in fact, a ram. And so this goes along with our, our second full school of thought where uh, there are coats of arms and seals and stuff, and, or the first one as well, uh, where those represent uh, the actual kingdom itself. So it had a symbol of a ram. And that whenever the emperor would even go out to battle and go out to war, uh, history says he of the Medo-Persian Empire would wear a jeweled ram's head whenever he would go out to war. So this, we're, we're not... We're validating something we already know is valid because he told us plainly what it was, but just to see those other things as well. But now the scripture, the scripture said that the ram had two horns, but one was higher than the other. We see this same type of uh, description in certain degrees like we did in Daniel chapter number 7 whenever we're talking about uh, the bear that was the Medo-Persian Empire. And if you remember, it was raised up on one side the Bible says. And so here in Daniel, what we're seeing is he's looking at the same thing and he's seeing it from different perspectives. Basically, he's seeing it from different perspectives, different animals illustrating the exact same thing. And so there's the bear raised up on one side. Here we have a ram with one horn that's higher than the other. And so again, this represents the Medo-Persian Empire, but it is the Persian, I don't know if you can see that up there, but it is the Persian and there's not necessarily one higher than another there, folks. Okay, if you're looking for something that's actually depicting that, uh, maybe it is. I don't know, get out a, a centimeter stick and try to figure it out. But uh, nevertheless, the Persian Empire uh, was greater or higher, if you will, than the Median Empire. And the Persian Empire came up later. Remember, the Darius the Mede got the Medo-Persian Empire to begin with, and then we'll see the role of Cyrus even more in there later on. But there was only, there was only two people from the media side uh, that, that ruled the Medo-Persian Empire. And they, those two ruled for a lesser number of years than the four who ruled on the Persian side did. So the Persians ruled longer, so they're more prominent, and they were in the latter portion. And so there's the horn of the Persian, if you will, side that's higher, uh, coming up at last than the Median side of this, this grouping of the Medo-Persian Empire. And notice what uh, the Scripture says, and here's a map from long ago that we looked at at one time. But the Bible says in verse number 4 that it, he saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward. All right? Uh, Persia is right here, over here on the east portion. As a matter of fact, modern-day Iran is Persia, modern-day Iran. Uh, back in 1935, Persia changed its name to Iran. And so Mersia, uh, Persia, I'm trying to put them together, I guess. Persia is over here on the, the east side. So it, it just goes along with the scripture. The Bible says that this ram was pushing westward. This is the Babylonian Empire. Persia is going to overtake all that. It's moving westward, northern, and also southern as well. Amen. And the reason why you don't see it pushing eastward is because that is the direction from which it is from. Persia, the Medo-Persians, were from the east. And so you see them pushing in every other direction, conquering domain, land, and territory because they are from the east. And that is the ram with the two horns that are one higher than the other. But going on this evening, uh, Daniel chapter number 8 and verse number 5, we come upon another animal that is introduced to us. 
The Bible says, Daniel says, And as I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns. So you see the horns that are already happening here, don't you? We got a, we got a ram with two horns, and now we have a goat with what's called a notable horn. Later, it's called a great horn. I, th- I didn't really know what to call this tonight because uh, I thought about calling it two horns, great horn, four horns, little horn <laughs> because we see all of that right here within uh, this chapter. But nevertheless, the goat had a notable horn between his eyes, and that's unusual because a goat usually has a couple horns. But here is a goat with one horn between its eyes, and he came to the ram that had two horns, all right, which I had there, which I which I had there seen standing before the river, he's still in this vision, ran unto him in the fury of his power. So we have this he-goat with one horn that's running to the ram with two horns in the fury of his power. And the Bible says, and I saw him come close unto the ram. The goat's coming close to the ram. He was moved with choler against him and smote the ram and brake his two horns and there was no power in the ram to stand before him. So this goat must be something else because before it was spoken of the ram that nobody could stand before it. But now there's come one, uh, evidently that is stronger. The ram now has fell to inferiority and there's goats coming, taking him. There was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground, verse 7 says, and stamped upon him and there was none that should deliver the ram out of his hand. And verse number 8 says, therefore the he-goat waxed very Great. So it was already great, but now his greatness has increased. His greatness has, has elevated to a certain degree. And when he was strong, the great horn, speaking about the notable horn, it's just called the great horn now, the great horn was broken, for it came up, for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Now, I tell you what, you, you, you just need to take a praise break and thank God that he's been so generous to us in, in Daniel chapter number 8. Because with this, again, he tells us very specifically who or what this he-goat is in the Scripture. So you, you, we've looked at verses 5 through 8 concerning this goat. So who and what could this be? When we go to the interpretation, that's within this chapter as well, starting around verse number 20. Uh, we can go, though, to verse number 21, and he tells us what this is. He says, the rough goat is the king of Grecia, or Greece. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The first king of what? The first king of Greece. So the Lord is very kind and generous with us, letting us know that this is Greece, and the the horn between his eyes is the first king of Greece. Now, so I got them both here. There's Medo-Persia, the ram right there, and there's this long-horned, curly-horned goat. You see the little hair there on the chin to help denote that. There is the goat right there. Um, interestingly, again, we're, just, we're kind of just further validating what Scripture has already told us, but the emblem of the Macedonians, or the Greeks, if you will, was one of a horned goat, a one-horned goat. This is the way it was. One of the cities of Macedonia in Greece was renamed Aegea, Aegea. Uh, and it was usually the burial place for the Macedonian kings. Now, what's the big thing about Aegea? Well, if you ever look at a map and look at Greece, right below that is the Aegean Sea. Uh, the Aegean Sea actually means Goat Sea. Goat Sea, the Aegean Sea. 
And one of Alexander the Great, if you remember, is talking about Alexander, and the first king of the Greek Empire is Alexander the Great. So that first king that is speaking of, that that one horn between the eyes, that one notable great horn in between the eyes represents, is Alexander the Great. But one of Alexander's sons, he had a son by Roxana, and he was named Alexander Agus, or the son of the goat. So all that is is just confirming what Scripture has already told us concerning the symbolism of Greece uh, being with the goat. And so the goat then, as I've said, is Greece or, or the Grecian Empire. And that horn, the first king of the Grecian Empire, historically is Alexander the Great. All right? Now, if we move on, this is a, this is a map that you've seen before as well. So after Medo-Persia took all of Babylon, this is what Medo-Persia looked like. But now Medo-Persia is on the verge of being taken by Greece, the goat, the he-goat with the one horn. And notice again what Scripture says. The Bible says very plainly in verse number 5 that out of the west, all right, out of the west came this he-goat. Well, we have all this land and in, in, in direction to where the empire of Persia and, and Medo-Persia was, West Greece is over here. And so the he-goat coming out of the West, very proper geographically, coming out of the West, Greece came to overtake the Medo-Persian empire. Now, that might say, well, big deal. Listen, folks, God is so detailed in his word that he gets the very minute things line on point on and if he can do that with prophecy we've said this before that's the reason why we look at prophecy sometimes because if we look at prophecies and prophecies that have been fulfilled and that's good and grand and it's mark on then know well that he's mark on concerning your mode of baptism and he's mark on concerning the plan of salvation and so what that should do is cause us to uh, have an appreciation a deeper appreciation, might I say, for those things. This just underscores a deep appreciation that we should have for those things. So it correlates with Greece being situated westward, that out of the west came the he-goat toward the ram, the Medo-Persian empire that had two horns, all right? And the Bible says in verse number, going back, to, uh, that's just up there just for the sake of being there. You can look at it and stare at it, just kind of a filler in. <laughs> but the Bible says that this goat, it touched not the ground. This goat didn't touch the ground. Which corresponds, if you remember back at Daniel chapter 7, the, the Grecian Empire being represented by the leopard with four heads and it had the wings, four wings of a fowl. Remember those four wings of the fowl? Uh, and a leopard in itself has some speed, but the four wings of a spout could make its speed even increased or faster or more swift. This goat is so fast, if I could say, that its feet uh, does not even touch the ground. Uh, you've ever heard someone uh, say that? I was moving so fast, I just felt like my feet were not even touching the ground. Well, this empire moves so quickly, and we know this, and some of this is going to be regurgitation, all right, tonight, but, but the Grecian empire moves so quickly. Alexander, it was a great feat for him to conquer the area that he conquered, the then-known world. If I may repeat, in about 13 years he did this, and it's not because they were driving cars and tanks and airplanes. They did it by foot. Masses and masses of men traveling miles upon miles every day to accomplish this task. In 13 years of the then known world, that's moving pretty quickly. 
for their day and hour. So their feet were not seemingly touching the ground, so to speak. And in verses 6 through 7 of, uh, of Daniel 8, you can read uh, what happened, the battle between the Medo-Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire, the, the battle between the ram and the battle between the hego. And it takes place there at a river. And I saved you all just a bunch of historical heartache. Because there is actually a river in which the Greeks and the Medo-Persians had a battle which caused the conquering of the Medo-Persians by the Greeks. There's a lot of history right there just in those two verses. But I'm going to save you all from your history lesson tonight. And if you ever want to look into it, you can look into it because I don't think it's going to necessarily further our overall purpose uh, for this evening. But there was a battle there by a river that did seal the victory for Greece. And so I'll spare you all the details. But after this victory, the Bible says that the he go waxed very great in verse number eight. And we know that. Its territory, for one, become massive. So in the essence of the territory that it had, it waxed very great. Not only that, to have conquered the then known world. That is, you know, that is something you want to put on your bucket list. And evidently, Alexander had it on his. He had done that and accomplished that in a short period of time. So he waxed very, very great. As a matter of fact, if you remember when he was around the age, Alexander, that is, around the age of 32 or 33, that's younger than myself. He was sitting on the banks of the Euphrates River and he was crying because there was no more world's to conquer. In other words, he had reached the epitome of greatness that he could reach. And uh, he, he thought he was great. Uh, Alexander uh, was told by his mother, his mother told him that his father, Philip of Macedon, said, she said, I want you to know that he descended from Hercules. And Alexander really believed that, I think. <laughs> I think he really believed that he descended from Hercules. He thought he was uh, all that and plus a milkshake. Uh, he was really great. Amen. But the male goat with the horn, again, it's the Grecian Empire, uh, and, and the, the horn that's coming out from the head is Alexander the Great. Now, the Scripture says that at the height of his strength, the great horn that's on the he-goat was broken. The great horn was broken. Remember, here's Alexander, 32 or 33. He died suddenly. He did a lot of drinking one night, got a fever, and he was dead in just a matter of moments in time. In the height of his greatness, no more worlds to conquer, nothing else that he could do to make himself any greater. The horn, that greatness, at the height of his greatness, the great horn was broken. He died. And the Bible says, for it, referring to the great horn, referring to Alexander the Great, for it came up, Four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. For it, for that horn came up four other horns. Because that one broken, four other horns came up in its place toward the four winds of heaven. And it is here, as we had the four heads of the leopard that uh, distinguished uh, four different directions and the kingdom being divided among Alexander's four top generals. Here, the four horns coming up in the place of the one great horn. I know we got here horn, there horn, all right. Uh, coming up in, 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 instead of the, the great horn, these four notable horns, this is the dividing, what is depicted in the vision uh, historically that we even know today as the dividing of the Grecian Empire among the four top generals of Alexander. And I think perhaps I've said in past lessons, and I don't want to mislead anybody, I've made stated that Alexander didn't have any sons. I would like to just 
accurately just say that a little bit more. He did not have any sons that were of adult age to be able to take his kingdom. So he had some sons, but he didn't have any sons that met the criteria, the criteria of age in order to rule the kingdom. And as a matter of fact, uh, when all this took place, his descendants were murdered, and there was nobody to claim the throne anyway uh, because they're all, by and large, gone. But when we talk about, okay, there's four top generals, and they take the kingdom. This isn't like Alexander died, and the next day there's four generals that have four different directions of the kingdom. It didn't happen that quickly. As a matter of fact, history tells us that this, this whole venture of getting it split between four took about 22 years. So we're not talking about just something, this is something that took, took time. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of different people fighting, ward and jockeying, if you will, for one of these positions. There was one time they thought it was going to be five, but it finally settled after, after about 22 years just to four. Again, God is very specific Amen. Concerning the prophecies and fulfilling the prophecies. Amen. It's just nothing more but a, a testament to the accuracy of Scripture. Now, the Bible says in verse number 22 of Daniel 8, Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms, this is the interpretation, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. So we have this one empire of Alexander, the great the Grecian empire. It's broken now because Alexander's dead. It's going to be divided up, that nation, that empire, into four different groupings or four different directions. But none of them individually or all of them collectively are going to be in the power that Alexander had. They're, they're all going to be a little deficient. They will not be as powerful as Alexander had. And we all know uh, whenever you have a monopoly like that, that's more powerful when it, than whenever you divide it among four, then you start to lose uh, some of that power and notoriety uh, that Alexander had. But if we can look at just uh, here for a moment, whenever it was divided among his four top generals, these are the generals that they were uh, uh, divided among. Uh, you want me to say these names? Lysimachus, uh, Cassander, uh, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. It was divided among these four generals. Now, here's what I want to show, though, more importantly. This is a map, if you will, of the uh, Grecian Empire. And the colors show the, the distribution of the land or the distribution of these four directions that it went. In the purple, what we would call maybe perhaps the north, is, is what's known as Thrace or Bithynia. That, that was given to uh, Lysimachus. Then on the west, the pink that, and that don't look real pink, uh, but it's real dark. The pink that we have up there is by and large what they, would, they considered to be the west. That was Macedonia. That was Greece. And then the yellow, all the yellow that you see, and there, that's enough yellow goatish color. Uh, Seleucus had that. That was Syria. That was Babylonia. That was east headed over to uh, the, the Indy, uh, India. rather. And then the south, the green up there uh, was, was Ptolemy. That was the, the Egypt and, and some of Asia Minor as well. Now, the, 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 the purple and the pink, that doesn't get much, much, much uh, call or much recognition in Scripture. But you'll see as we continue in the book of Daniel that those of Seleucus and those of Ptolemy get a lot of attention because in reality, Babylon and, and, and Syria, in, in, in relationship to where Israel is, are north. Egypt and those in relationship to where Egypt is, is south. 
And you'll further read later in the book of Daniel about kings from the north or those from the south, and you'll hear about a war. And all of that refers to these areas that were divided under King, uh, under uh, Alexander whenever his kingdom uh, split. Just for the purpose of a little maybe tying things together or, or review here for a moment. Can everybody, I know that might not, oh, this will help you out greatly because I got it on the handout. <laughs> you can't see it? Let me have that because that's the good copy. Everybody else got poorer ones. Well, you can't make a copy from the original and have it to be exactly what you think the original is. You all thought I was slighting you, didn't you? <clears throat> what this is, is just kind of tying, hopefully tying a little bit of what we learned together here. The correlations of the dreams and of the visions. If you will remember, Daniel chapter number 2, that image that King Nebuchadnezzar saw, And you can go across and see the correlation between Daniel 7, Daniel 8, and whatever the kingdom was that was represented. All right? Someone's holding out. Sister, share. you holding out your arms? Are you needing glasses? You're doing it for your mom. Um, (laughs) I can hold up my copy. Amen. The head of gold in Daniel chapter number 2 relates to, in Daniel 7, our eagle-winged lion. And in Daniel chapter 8, there is nothing given because Daniel in chapter 8, again, he's looking at these two particular kingdoms and their relationship with Israel. We heard a lot about the relationship of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylonia with Israel because that was their captivity all the way back in this. So so, uh, the Lord was just gracious and just didn't redo that for Daniel. He just focused on these two. But that represented Babylon. Back in chapter number two, arms and breast of silver. We've had... We've looked at this a thousand times, it seems like. I feel like I have sometimes. Uh, But nevertheless, in Daniel chapter number 7, that was the bear that's raised on one side. In Daniel chapter number 8, that correlates with the ram that has two horns, one that's higher than the other. That relates to the Medo-Persian Empire. Back to Daniel chapter number 2, the image of the belly and thighs uh, of bronze, that correlates in Daniel 7 with the fowl wing, the four wings of a fowl upon the four-headed leopard. That correlates in Daniel chapter number 8 with the he-goat, the male goat that has one great horn that uh, gets broke and then four horns rise up in its place. And we'll speak of this a little bit later and it talks about a little horn. Relates to the kingdom of Greece. Back at, is everybody doing all right? Do do, do you remember any of this? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Back here in Daniel chapter 2, the legs of iron uh, in the DTBs. That's just my way of saying because the Bible said it was dreadful and terrible, okay? Dreadful and terrible beast. Amen. Dreadful and terrible beast of Daniel chapter number 7. Daniel chapter number 8, we don't see anything there concerning that per se. And then it represents the kingdom of Rome. Also in the image of Daniel chapter 2, the feet and the toes. And now we're talking about 10, if you'll remember, because that might not just be a atomical feature but we've seen the ten horns that correlates with that but the feet and the ten toes of part iron part clay in Daniel 7 relates then to the ten horns and the little horn that we know to be the antichrist that we studied a couple weeks ago uh, that come up in Daniel chapter number 8 we don't necessarily see a direct correlation there but then that represented the revived 
Roman Empire. Remember, Rome never truly was slaughtered, taken off the scene. She kind of was wounded. She kind of fell apart internally and such, and she's going to come back. She's going to come back to, to, to power in some vineyard way, whether that's the European Union, whether it's the uh, United Nations, or whether it's something else that's going to come up on the scheme of things. And all of, that is the t- all of this is time of the Gentiles. What Scripture refers to in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, is the times of the Gentiles. It started with the Babylonian captivity. It'll last all the way up until the time uh, Rome is revived, and then there's going to come, though, a kingdom. As we studied in Daniel 2, there's going to be a stone that's cut without hands that's going to become a mountain. It's going to hit those feet, part arm, part clay, destroy that, and everything from there up is going to dissolve, and it's going to last forever. In Daniel chapter number 7, we see that correlation whenever it's speaking about there's going to be a kingdom given to him, the Son of Man, speaking of the Messiah, and it's going to be given to the saints. It spoke of as well, they would have dominion and control. It's speaking of that time, that kingdom, that everlasting kingdom that's going to know no end. Daniel chapter number 8, we really don't have anything spoken about that, but the kingdom that's represented of those, yes, in fact, is the kingdom of God. All right, I hope that helps maybe along the way uh, for someone. You can just keep that. Now, see, someone's already looking ahead, aren't they? See, this is a bad thing. They say one of the first rules about public speaking is you don't give a handout at the beginning of your speech because everybody's going to be looking at your handout rather than listening to what you have to say. (laughs) I'm just... um, In Daniel chapter number 8 in verse 9, the Bible says... And out of one of them. Now, let's put this in context again. He is speaking about the great horn broke. There was four that came up in its place. And so when it says out of one of them, it's referring back to the four, okay? It's referring back to the four. So out of one of the four that came up in the place of the notable great horn, which was Alexander, out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. So out of one of the four divisions of the top generals of Alexander's empire, out of one of them will come a little horn. And this little horn's going to be exceeding great and going toward the south, the east, and toward the pleasant land. The pleasant land is basically Palestine, or more, or more specifically Israel, toward the pleasant land. Now, I'm trying to, I'm going to slow down here a little bit because I ain't going to take, I'll take about my 45 tonight, all right? But I'm going to leave you with a lot of questions this evening. And that's the way I wanted to leave you, with questions. <coughs> Someone says, I've left every time you've talked with questions. <laughs> well, you're in for a ride because the water gets real muddy in Daniel chapter number eight. Uh, we must ask ourselves the question then, the little horn that this is speaking about, the little horn that is described in the first part of Daniel chapter number 8, it's later in like verses 23 through 25 in the interpretation that it speaks in the latter time of, in verse number 23, that in the latter uh, time of their kingdom when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance that arises. And so something that we got to decide, and I think this is very easy to decide, but if the little horn that's in the former part of Daniel chapter 8, if that indeed relates to the king later in Daniel chapter number 8, and I believe that is in fact so. One was the vision, the other was the interpretation. 
although it's not as plain as he was with the ram and said the ram is the Medo-Persian empire and the he-goat is the uh, Grecian empire although it doesn't come out and just plainly say the little horn is the I know we like that we really like that but you don't always get that all right but it follows the parallel and the pattern of the vision talks about the ram in the vision first and then it talks about the ram first in the interpretation talks about the the he goat second in the vision it talks about the he goat then second in the interpretation it talks about the little horn then third in the vision and so rightfully so uh with the the parallel and the stream of thought it the king that is speaking of in verse 23 is in fact the little horn that it described in the vision earlier in that chapter but now here is the famous this is the million dollar question Daniel 7, there was a little horn. And now in Daniel 8, there's a little horn. Are these the same thing or are they different? Now just a little compare contrast. In Daniel 7, the origin of the little horn came from the fourth kingdom, the kingdom of Rome. There were ten horns there. There was a horn that came up, a little horn. It took out three, if you will remember. All right? there it is if you want to pose it there were ten horns and it came up as the eleventh it uprooted three and if you remember its time of persecution or when it would have uh, its sway upon people was for what it spoke in Daniel 7 was time times and the dividing of time that we deduced down to be 42 months or 1260 days or three and a half years all because again remember going scripturally being based off a lunar calendar rather than the Gregorian in the calendar that we have so there, there was 30 days in a month every month alright but what about Daniel 8 the little horn Daniel 8 are they the same or are they different well in following Daniel 8 the origin of the little horn from Daniel 8 comes from the third beast the Greek kingdom it is noted as the fifth horn there's the four the four divisions of the kingdom of Alexander and then rises this little horn as a fifth horn that comes up among these other four notable ones and whenever there's a question you can read of it in in verses 13 and 14 there's one talking about how long is this little horn going to have its sway and its persecution its dealings and the angel answers 23 2300 days which is six years four months and 20 days so are they the same or are they different I'm just, I, I'm just, these are called ponderings, all right? And I'll give you my opinion next week for sure, what I feel within myself. But here's another thought, and I want you to think about this, all right? Because eventually, in the, in, the, in the scheme of the kingdoms, Rome overtook Greece, the kingdom of Greece, all right? Rome overtook Greece. So my question is, could the little horn that comes out of one of the Grecian divisions still be the horn that comes out of the confederacy of ten of the revived Roman Empire since the Grecian Empire was basically absorbed by the Roman Empire I'm just asking questions I'm not giving no answers (laughs) because the Roman Empire is later going to be revived with the ten horns could one of those ten be one of the four from the Greek Empire that little horn in Daniel chapter 8 comes up out of? Mm. Could it be that the writer is trying to narrow down for us, God trying to narrow down for us, a more specific location out of where the Antichrist is going to come from? 
by narrowing down, the, a little horn came out of the, one of the four divisions of the Greek Empire, and maybe that was just absorbed in Rome, and it's still in existence, and maybe it's the same little horn. Or maybe it's not. All right, I'm coming very close to a close because I, I just about got you all just confused enough to go home. If I, had, if I had something to draw on, I could make pictures for you. And this, and whenever I say the waters can get real muddy, they can get real muddy. But uh, from a book, uh, Daniel, the key to prophetic revelation, and this is some of the venues that we can go with all this. And I will lean upon one and take you in that direction next week. All right. Uh, what I feel just personally, my total opinion, okay? But what we have here is whenever Daniel chapter 8, some look at Daniel chapter 8 as a historical view that everything in Daniel chapter number 8 has already been satisfied. The, the, the Medo-Persian Empire has already taken place. Yes, it has. The Greek Empire has already taken place. Yes, it has. And they believe some of them that the little horn in the Grecian Empire has already taken place through the man Antiochus Epiphanes that I spoke of earlier through that particular man. All right? That it's already taken place, Daniel 8. Some believe that everything in Daniel 8 is just all future. They believe that ram and that goat <laughs> is still futuristic, that the Medo-Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire is going to come back to strength in the last days, and then the little horn is going to be futuristic relating to the Antichrist that is to come. Some believe, viewed based upon the principle, and we've talked about this before a long time ago, about prophecy, some having dual fulfillment, meaning that they relate to something now and something there. A then and a now. Meaning that, yes, the Medo-Persian Empire and the, Greek and the Grecian Empire, that has taken place. But believing that that little horn, portions and part of that relate to Antioch, Epiphanes, this horrid king from the Seleucian dynasty, that some of it was fulfilled with him and some of it will be typified and later fulfilled with the Antichrist that is to come. And then lastly, number four, that the view that the passage is prophecy historically fulfilled but intentionally typical of similar events. In other words, meaning everything has already been done through the Medo-Persia, the Grecian, and Antiochus. It's all been fulfilled, but it is typifying or prefiguring something that will still yet happen in the last days. Out of those four, there is one in particular that I lean more so on than the other. But that's just me. I'm not telling you, you, you go with this, and I'm just telling you, folks, this, whenever it gets into this, there's, there's a, there is no just direct line answer that I can just say, this is it. And people that do that are just people that are just dogmatic and they just don't like to consider options. <laughs> because whenever we get, again, to this stage that there are things that have not yet come to pass, there's nothing historically that we can lay claim on fast, and it's not yet totally come to pass, it's anybody's best guess whether it's going to be this, this, or this. Again, there are certain things that could line up. There are possibilities. And so of these three, there's one that I lean toward uh, more than the other three. And I'll share that with you, and we'll try to walk that line. And we'll next week come with your toothpicks because we're going to hit a little history with Antiochus Epiphanes. I know you're just going to be exhilarated uh, to hear about him. But I have to share that with you to understand why some people believe this may already be fulfilled with Antiochus. All right, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. 
Thank you and have a blessed day.